Good morning and welcome. We're glad that you're with us today. As always, we invite you to come back and be with us. We're grateful for the number here this morning. We hope and pray that our time together will be beneficial to you. As always, if you are visiting, we encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity you have. We're very grateful for the number of visitors that we have from week to week. It might be that you're looking for a church home as the year winds down. We'd love to have you as a part of the work here. I know that the elders would be more than happy to answer any questions that you might have about the work here and how you might be involved in helping to spread the good news in this community. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4 in verse 1. Philippians chapter 4 verse 1. Our subject today, standing fast in the Lord. Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. The church at Philippi began as recorded by Luke back in Acts chapter 16 with the conversion of Lydia and her household, the gospel planted on European soil and ultimately brought forth a great deal of fruit. When Paul wrote to the saints in Philippi, the time was about A.D. 62. And Paul was imprisoned. And one of the recurring themes in this book is joy. And Paul was a man who was joyful in his Christian life. And as you read the book of Philippians, there are a couple of things that stand out. Number one, it's hard to miss the affection that Paul had for the church at Philippi. And then secondly, there is his admonition to the saints at Philippi. And I want us to talk about that for just a moment or two. We begin by talking about his affection for the saints. And it's evident by reading verse 1 that Paul loved the church. He loved the people that made up the church in Philippi. He said, Therefore, my beloved and longed for, brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Note, if you would, the fact that two times in this one verse, Paul speaks of his love for these people. Back in chapter 1, in verse 8, Paul had expressed his sentiments toward these saints. He said, For God is my witness how I greatly long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. I have no doubt that the Apostle Paul loved the church, not just at Philippi, but the church universal. And there were a number of congregations that the Apostle Paul had a part in helping to plant. And I would say to those of us who are here today that the church at Olive Branch is a church united by love. I have no doubt that the elders of this congregation love every member, and they love you. And I know that Billy and Jared and I 
have a great deal of affection for each and every one of you. And we appreciate you and we appreciate your encouragement. Because the church is, as Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, the blood-bought body of Christ. And then I think about his supplications for the saints. Paul prayed for the church. And I would simply say that the elders here pray for you. And those of us that are a part of this congregation, we pray for one another. And the reason is because we love you. In verse 3, Paul said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, he said, making request for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul was grateful for the association that he had with these people. Aren't you grateful to be a part of a church? A church where people love one another and care for one another? One another? Aren't you grateful to be a part of a congregation that is supportive of you? I think about the words of Paul in Romans chapter 12 when he said, We weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. We do so because we love one another and because we have the opportunity to pray for one another. And then I think about Paul's service to the saints in Philippi. Paul sought to serve those who were within the body of Christ. Paul viewed himself as a servant of Christ. As a matter of fact, in verse 1, he begins by saying, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. Paul was a willing servant, a slave of the Lord Jesus. You remember in verse 21 how he said, For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. In verse 23, he said, To depart and be with Christ is far better. I have no doubt that the Apostle Paul wanted to be used in service to God, but ultimately he wanted to go home and be with the Lord, didn't he? But he said in verse, he said in verse 24, Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. He said, and being confident of this, he said, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all. Why? For your progress and joy of faith. Paul was instrumental in their maturing spiritually. He would challenge them to grow in their faith. I'm confident that the elders of this congregation are interested in your spiritual growth. And they want to make sure that you're growing and abounding in your relationship to God. They want to make sure that the church here is properly fed and that the church is what it ought to be. I understand that we're not all on the same plane spiritually. But there is the goal of spiritual maturity on the part of all. And then there's another thing that comes to mind as I think about his affection for the saints. One of the things that really endeared the church at Philippi to Paul was the fact that they supported him. Over in chapter 14, or rather chapter 4, in verse 14, 
He talked about how they shared in his distress. In verse 16, he said, For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again for my necessities. So here were people that reached out and tried to be supportive of him financially. Not just with their prayers, but also with some type of financial assistance. So Paul loved the church. We talk about his affection for the saints. But then I want you to consider with me, if you would, his admonition. Listen again to what he says in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, he said, so stand fast in the Lord. Paul wanted these, these people to be faithful to God. You know, we, we, we talk about what's most important as a child of God, faithfulness. When he wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, Be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. When Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, he was concerned about their faith and the persecutions the difficulties that they were having to endure and bear. And so over in chapter 3, he could say, For now we live, if you stand fast in the Lord. What is it that we want as a body of believers here? We want to make sure that we're all walking faithfully to the Lord, don't we? We want to make sure that we're living in harmony with the will of God. Two things I think about regarding Paul's admonition. First of all, Paul encourages them to be faithful in their conduct, that is, in their behavior. Back up and look at verse 27 of chapter 1. He said, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let me ask you a question. What's your conduct in Christ? What do people see? in you as a child of God. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example of the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Are you a Christian example? When people see you, do they see Christ living in you? In chapter 2, in verse 14, he said, Do all things without murmuring and disputing or complaining that you may be blameless and harmless, the children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. The world in which we live is engulfed in spiritual darkness. John said the world lies in wickedness in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. And Paul is saying that as children of God, we are surrounded by people that are living lives of wickedness. But he said... In that world of spiritual darkness, he said, we are to shine as lights in the world. Are you a shining light for good in this world? In verse 16, he said, holding forth the word of life. When we talk about our conduct in Christ, it ought to say to the world that we belong to the Lord, that we're Christians. Could you say with Paul, be 
a follower of me, even as I also am of Christ? Could you encourage others to walk in your footsteps, to live as you live, to speak as you speak, to do as you do? And then I think about he encouraged them to be faithful in their citizenship. Back in verse 19 of chapter 3, Paul talks about some who mind earthly things. In contrast to that, Paul said, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. Those of us who are citizens in this country are greatly blessed, aren't we? And there's something to be said for being a patriot, for loving our country. We love our country to the extent that many of us would be willing to sacrifice our own life for continued freedom. Many have done so. And there are certain things that represent the ideals of our country. The flag represents to us what this country is all about. You know, there have been some folks in days gone by, because of their actions, they've committed treason against their country, unfaithful as a citizen. What about you as a child of God? Are you faithful in your citizenship? Are you minding earthly things or heavenly things? We have one more Sunday. And then the year will conclude, the Lord willing. Sometimes it's helpful for us to reflect. I think it's always good to take personal inventory of where we are. Where are you as a child of God? You think about where you stand in your relationship to the Lord. We always ought to think about our relationship to God and ask the question, am I where I need to be? You know, the Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, said, examine yourselves, whether you're in the faith. Self-analysis is sometimes a good thing. When I was a, a student many years ago in school, one of the things I dreaded most was when the teacher would say, pull out a sheet of paper, put all your books under your desk, it's time for a pop quiz. Didn't you hate that? I hated it. And the reason is because I've never read it. I've got a little pop quiz. And I want you to think silently in your mind how you would answer these questions. The questions are simple. They're succinct. And they are answered either yes or no. Let me ask this question, number one. Ten questions. 
there are 104 opportunities to worship and 104 opportunities to come to Bible study in a given year. Over the course of this past year, and here's what I want you to answer, yes or no. I have only missed because of sickness or work. Can you say, I have only missed due to sickness or work? Now, I know what the Hebrew writer said, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Some in the first century were characterized by absenting themselves from the services. So how would you answer that question? Have you been here 50% of the time? 40? 30? 75% of the time? Have you been here every time the doors have been open? Number two, I am a daily Bible student. Yes or no? I am a daily Bible student. Yes or no? You either are or you're not. Now the Bible tells us, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Peter said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You can't grow if you don't spend time in the Word. Number three, I pray daily. Yes or no? I pray daily. Yes or no? Not a hard question. Paul said we ought to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In Colossians chapter 4 verse 2, he said, Continue steadfastly in prayer. Number four. I have talked to others about Jesus. Yes or no? I have talked to others about Jesus. Yes or no? You know, the Great Commission still reads, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's not just for the preacher, not just for the elders or deacons, it's for everybody. Number five. I am an example of Jesus. Yes or no? I am an example of Jesus. When people see my life, they see Christ living in me. Could that be said of you, as Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20? It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Number six. I have influenced others for Jesus. Yes or no? I have influenced others for Jesus over this past year. Yes or no? Number seven. I want you to think about this very carefully. I know the Lord approves of my spiritual life. Yes or no? I know the Lord approves of my spiritual life. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, the Lord analyzed the churches in Asia Minor. 
He talked about the good things they were doing, and he pointed out their blemishes. Number eight. I have more treasures in heaven than on earth. Yes or no? Listen very carefully. You can have a bank full of money. And you can have all kind of land and all kind of things. But if you step outside this veil of existence without Christ, that money, that land, those material goods won't do you any good. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on earth. Number nine. I am walking in the narrow way. Yes or no? I am walking in the narrow way. Either you are or you aren't. You remember in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus contrasted the straight and narrow gate and the broad way that leads to destruction? I am walking in the narrow way. Yes or no? Number 10. Please listen very carefully. If I died today, I know, and I would underline that word know, I know I would go to heaven. Yes or no? If I died today, I know I would go to heaven. Ten questions. When I was in school, if you missed more than three questions, what happened? You flunked. You failed. How'd you do? I'm talking about honestly. Honestly. Not hedging. Not saying, well, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm not so bad. How'd you do? Did you pass or fail? I want to conclude by saying this. When I was in school, one of the ways that some of us made it was by extra credit. Sometimes they'd give you extra credit if you just write your name on your paper. Well, I've got two extra credit questions. If you only answer one of these questions correctly, you'll pass a test. Easy enough, isn't it? All you have to do is answer one question. So here's a question. Well, really, I'm going to form it as a, as a statement. You flunked the test. And so, statement number one, I'm going to be baptized today. Now, you flunked the test. You're lost. You're not going to heaven. What I'm asking is this. Will you be baptized today? Yes or no? Bear in mind, if you say no, you're not saying no to me. I don't want you to think that. You're not telling me no. You're telling the Lord no. 
You're telling the Lord, no, I'm not going to be baptized into Christ. I'm not going to do it. That's your prerogative. You can leave here. You can live in unbelief. You can die in unbelief. And you can lose your soul. It's all on you if you do that. Now Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So are you man or woman enough to say yes? Or will you say, no, it's not for me? You've got to live with that choice. Flip side is you're a child of God. And you flunk this test miserably. So here's what I want to ask. Or again, here's the statement. I'm going to be restored today. Yes or no? I'm going to be restored today. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month. Today. Now if you say no, you're not saying no to me. Don't think that. I don't want you to leave here thinking you said no to me. You didn't say no to me at all. No, you told the Lord, I'm not going to be restored. I'm going to live like I want to live. I'm going to do as I want to do. And let me tell you what, if that's what you want to do, go right ahead. Knock yourself out. You need to understand, though, you're not going to heaven. You're not going to make it. You won't be there. Not one chance. You really want to go to hell? I'm asking, do you want to go to hell? I guess about every week, I ask myself over and over, what could I say? Is there anything that I could say that I should say that maybe would get to somebody? It's not what they ought to be. And sometimes, I'll be honest with you, sometimes... Sometimes I get discouraged because I don't know what I don't know what I could say. And I think there's some folks that have the idea, you know what? I'm going to do what I want to do regardless. So maybe maybe here's the way I ought to look at it. You want to do what you want to do? Do it. Knock yourself out. Do it. If you want to live unfaithfully, if you don't want to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, that's your choice. Do it. But know this. You're making a terrible mistake in your life. I can't tell you the gravity of your decision. You may not realize it today, but you will one day. When you step out into eternity and you realize that you've been separated from Almighty God and you'll never again see the light of God's countenance, it'll come home. So I close by asking this question. Will you be baptized into Christ today? Today is the day of salvation. Why do you need to be baptized? Because salvation is in Christ, 2 Timothy 2.10. 
The only way you get into Christ is by being baptized into Christ, whereby you contact the blood of Christ, Acts twenty two sixteen. If you're unfaithful to Christ, will you be restored today? Yes or no? Yes or no? You can be restored. We'd love to pray with you and for you. And God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.